Last week, we had the wonderful opportunity to begin a conversation with Mr. Chaz, and I'm so excited for you to hear the second half of our conversation. I'm Joy Dertinger, and this is 99 Lead Balloon. Episode 6, Early Childhood Education and Development, Part 2. Inevitably, beginning of the year, I get a new group of children who are you now from coming from a two-year-old room to, into my into my room. And not every teacher, you know, has the same thought process that I do, and not every parent um, either. So there would be some children who come in, they're pouring their milk, and they spill, and they immediately just melt down. They just they just melt down like oh, no, and they're crying, mm. and they because they spilled their milk. They, they can't, they, they like, they're so frozen and scared that they can't move out the way as the milk slowly dripping off the table oh. on like about to go into their pants and they're just melting down. Right. Yeah. And probably every year there, there would be at least a couple of children who have that response. Yeah. Now my response is, oh, it's okay. Like we spilled, like we all spilled, we all make mistakes. Like I spill yeah. all the time and just go going to clean it up. Yeah. Right now, that first time that I clean it up, they are still probably like overwhelmed and maybe they stop or they're noticing what I'm doing. I'm not making a big deal. And maybe they're not able to clean, help me clean it up at that time. But right now I'm just communicating to them that like this thing that happened is okay. It's the thing that happens. And this is what we do afterwards. I'm mm-hmm. not stressing about it. And like, there's no need for you to stress out about it. There's not, you're not, not going to get a big reaction from me. And even like some other kids may even react like, oh no, it's okay guys. Like, you know it's cool like we all make mistakes we clean it up right um and i always talk about like like these you know big emotions and like misbehaviors they're you know unmet needs and unlearned skills Mm. um here he didn't kind of he he needed to feel secure that he can make a mistake um he or she that they can make a mistake and you know, it's okay and you can repair and he's not going to get this big reaction. Right. Yeah. Um, so in that moment I'm, I'm meeting that need. Now the skill is, all right, learning how to pour milk. Right. Yeah. And I saw so I'm kind of observing and maybe the next day I'm observing and I'm seeing like, okay, he's, you know, maybe, just, you know, he's just holding it by just the handle and it's just going out too quickly. So I'm kind of seeing this and now I am going to give them, I'm going to give this child many opportunities to experiment the properties of liquid so that they understand how fast liquid pours out because maybe the child has never had the opportunity to pour their own milk before. And it's yeah. something that we never allow the child to do. So I'm going to yeah. set up a water table. I'm going to put a pitcher in there. They're going to have so much fun because they love playing in water and they're going to practice pouring all day long without with stress-free. Like I'm not going to have to stress them to practice this thing yeah. and they're going to all on their own. Yeah. And maybe it's also me like, okay, so hold the handle, hold the belly, and we slowly pour, then me talking them through it. So that's mm-hmm. one aspect of the teaching part. Now it's the, the other part of kind of the unmet need, the emotional part of it of just like, all right, like if I spill, like how can I respond? Like what, what, what can I do? 
So like next time they like I'll teach them I'll teach them the scale, teach them the scale, and then kind of slowly, you know, back up, back up, back up, and allow them to make the mistake again and they mm-hmm. spill like, oh, it's okay. We just clean it up. Mm-hmm. Right. And now now this time I'm going to I'm getting a paper towel, like I'm starting to clean it up and I'm handing them the paper towel and they're starting to clean it up too. And they're mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah, this is just the thing that we do. They're not as like reactive, they're not melting down because they know they're not like it's okay yeah. that we spill. Um, and then they're going to the paper, t- they're getting the paper towels. Right. And so that just becomes a part of the culture of just, it's okay to make mistakes. And when mistakes happen, I'm not going to overreact to it. We're just, we're going to focus on repairing it. We're going to work on, you know, learning the skills So that mistake, that developmental mistake, you know, doesn't happen as often. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're able to be more successful in that endeavor that we are trying to tackle. And then, you know, and, and, and something amazing happened every single year. Yeah. Just the child. When So when the child's pouring, okay, they spill and they make a mistake. Look, oh, I made a mistake. It wouldn't be just the child. So like, you know, I mean, at this point, they're going to get uh, paper towels. Now all the children at that table are going to get paper towels and helping the child, Aww. right? That is the reaction like, uh, uh, you know, the thing that like kids do, yeah. like, oh no, like, you spilled, and they're, you know, kind of like judging and shit, you yeah. know. Now they're the response is like, oh, can I help them clean it up? Mm, yeah. And so now it's kind of like a community thing, and all the all, and it, and it doesn't just impact the child who was making the mistakes, it impacts all of the children who were around for the mistake and how it was responded to, yeah. right? Oh, this child, this person made a mistake. We don't have to like judge or shame them or call them out on it. We can just help them repair it, mm. right? Part of the process. Mm. Um, and that is, I know I'm talking about spilled milk here, but that same kind of thing goes for other behaviors too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just want yeah. to share that. Oh, I love that. I love that. Uh, it's funny. My four-year-old is the first child that I've had who has, who's been in childcare at a young age. My other kids went to preschool, but I never worked full-time when I had my other kids. And when I had my four-year-old, um, I think he was about two when I started working full-time and he was in childcare. And I, and they, um, he's not in childcare currently because I'm able to work from home and so is my husband and so I'm, we're just all home together. Um, but he was in childcare for about a year, year and a half. And while he was there, they would do meals the same way. It was family style. They would help themselves get, they would scoop their own food, um, pour their own drinks. And <laughs> I remember because the childcare uh, center is in the same building as my office. And I happened to go past the childcare center and all the little kids were sitting down at their little table and having their lunchtime. And I'm seeing my son pouring his own drink. And I was like, oh, no, it's going to go so wrong. (laughs) And I'm panicking. And, of course, he spilled. And his teacher was like, oh, no problem. Just cleaning it up. And it was one of those moments for me where I was like, oh, this isn't just like, like this, this is skill building. There's so much here that he's learning. And it's not just one simple thing of sitting around a table and having a meal it's not we're not just feeding them because they have to eat they're learning Mm -hmm. so much as part of this process and he learned so so much in that program 
and he he loved it and he misses it every day and he always asks to call his teacher and um, we're excited for when he can go back but it is it is something that there's a communal aspect to learning that they didn't get when they were at home and I think that um, it's great when parents can be home with their children. That's wonderful because we want to nurture our children and spend as much time with them as we can. That's just natural. But yeah. I, at first I, I felt a little bit bad for putting my kid in childcare because I was like, well, my bad mom now, all these things, right? Which isn't true. And I would never say it about anyone else. I would never yeah. even think it about anyone else. But I thought, oh no, I must be doing something. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. And, and seeing that kind of, that ability to learn, not just, you know, gross and fine motor skills, but um, social emotional learning and learning how to co-regulate and all of these different things and problem solving and the personal social aspect. There's so much there that he wouldn't have gotten at home with me while all of his siblings were in school all day. Um mm-hmm. And I love that that's possible in those group settings. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. I think that, you know, I think that there are pros and cons to keeping your child at home and there are pros and cons to, you know, sending them to childcare. And so, you know, another decision where you just have to deal with right for your family and what you feel in your heart and um you know there are always you know and and what i would say for people what's most important the most important thing when sending your child to um a a child care facility it's not the it's not the building the the new updated building it's not the you know, necessarily even the accreditation that they have. It's not necessarily the director who is, you know, very nice. Although that is, I would, I would, I would that definitely factors. These are all factors. Yeah. Um, the most important thing is the teacher, and te- teachers slash teachers in the room with your child um, during that time, no matter where they're at. The teacher is what makes the whole experience. Mm. Uh, so I would say anyone who's out there who is thinking about you know taking the child back to childcare, and you're like, ah, oh, like I have all these questions. I would the biggest thing that I would suggest is meeting the teacher and asking how they handle situations. Like, okay, so like, what do you think? Like if a child hits, like, what do you do? Like, how do you respond Mm. to that? If a child bites, how do you respond to that? If a child Mm. spills their milk, how do you, you know, respond to that? And, you know, so that you can kind of get a glimpse or an understanding of how your child's going to be responded to, Mm -hmm. because there's so much learning that's going to happen there and so much internalizing that's going to happen there. Right. Like I imagine you just said, like, I would never say that someone else is a bad mom, but I have this self-talk that's like, says like, I'm a bad mom. You know, the, you know, the, how we're talked to, especially by people that 
we look up to and really and care for us and we really care about becomes our self-talk. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, be, you know, just be really mindful of that. Mm-hmm. I think the teacher is the most important thing in the room. Yeah. Either it's a Montessori classroom, play-based, traditional, regular meal, the teacher is what makes that program. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There is something really uh beautiful about the relationship that children can can develop with their teachers and um my son's teacher happened to be the the director of the child care center as well. Um and mm. I I had the opportunity to work closely with her before I even put him in childcare, um, which was so nice because I got to get to know her a little bit. And uh, he, he loves her so much. And when I get to go to the office to pick up supplies or do whatever I need to do when I run into her, um, she always asks about him. And I think that, um, like you said, like taking a tour and having conversations with the teacher, with the people who are going to be working with your child every day is so important. And um, a lot of times I work with families who are considering like preschool options, putting their child in childcare because they need to work or, you know, situations like that. And they're so afraid. They're so, so deeply afraid of sending their kid somewhere to be in someone else's care. Um, and so, you know, we talk about how to recognize, you know, good, healthy childcare settings. We talk mm-hmm. about how to recognize positive um, education settings. Uh, but one of the biggest things that I think that we talk about, at least for me personally, because of my lack of direct experience in that realm, is uh, are children playing? Like, are they are they mm-hmm. playing? Because if kids don't feel safe, they don't really play. They can't play. Yeah. Um and so that's one of the, the biggest things that um, I encourage parents to, to look for is where are the children who are playing and keep your yeah. eyes out for that. Yeah, I would. And I'm going to add, I actually have a lot. I could say a lot kind of on this topic and a lot of things that are probably more subtle that maybe other people wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't catch on to. Um, but also some things that are really common and how you can kind of know this quality. I'm going to, I'm going to dish out some of this. Do secrets. it. Do it. I love it. <laughs> One thing is you can ask yourself, and this happens more kind of like an after nap time thing, but it kind of clues you in on the mindset of the teacher. Um, are the shelves and toys pushed up against the wall so children can't get to them? Mm. You know, and a lot of teachers do that because it's, an inconvenience or it feels like an inconvenience for children to be playing and they're afraid of them making a mess and they you know don't want to go through the process of cleaning up but like all of that is important they need they should have access to those toys um because that's what's that's you know all the things in the room all the materials in the room all have different things that help them with different parts of their development mm. um, and children will choose toys kind of based off of what you know they're pretty much what they're what, what based off of what their need is and what their interest is um and that's really important for the for the development it's really important that children are do have access to these things mm. now another thing 
that is also super common, probably even more common than the um, shelf thing, um, is product versus process art. Now, what is that? Um, product art is art that is focused on what the end goal of it looks like. Mm -hmm. Those are like your hand turkeys and the hand flower pots. Those are those are when well typically it's teachers those that's teacher art yeah right yeah teacher who have and i've been there before so i don't even I don't, i'm not here to judge the teachers it's just you know they're at where they're at in their journey too mm -hmm. um i remember being wanting to do the product art too um early in my career and having to get over that and through that but mm -hmm. You know, the, you know, teachers have this sense of control. They want to control the art um, and control what it looks like. And they have this need for that fish to look like a fish. Yeah. Uh, so they will control the art activity. And that is very restricting um, from something that's supposed to be exploratory. It's supposed to be the expression of their, you know, their their ability, their feelings, and, you know, but we take that away from them yeah. a lot of times to have this product art, to have this pretty product that we can put up and show the parents and like, look, they made goldfish. Yeah. Right? Look, they made penguins. Yeah. But if, oh, and this is the way you know it's product art. If you go into a room and you see, or you see a bulletin board and all the art looks the same, mm. then the teacher did it. Yeah, and maybe God was there, and you know the teacher held the wrist and put it on, or said, "Put the <laughs> eyes there." Yeah, put the eyes. Oh no, no, don't do that. It's okay if the yeah. eyeball is on the butt. Like it's yeah. okay, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know the way that art should be mm. done. That is more freeing. Is, is better for a child's development. Um, is is through process art by putting the materials out. And allowing them to choose, you know, the paint. And maybe you don't, you know, I'm not saying you put out the 70 shades of paint that you have in your closet, yeah. you know, you know, be aware, like where they're at in the development and what they can handle and kind of like, yeah, be aware. But, you know, maybe you're, you're putting two different colors of paint out, you're putting a paintbrush out, and you're putting some eyeballs out and they can, they can do that with it what they want. Yeah. Right. And, and they can take the paint and they can dip it in the paintbrush. They can mix the colors, you know, because they're mixing the colors. Because what is that teaching them? Right. As opposed to just the handprint turkey or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One, they grab the, they're, they're able to use the paintbrush and they're able to dip it in the paint and the paint. One, they're working on fine motor skills. Yeah. One. Two, they're actually, you know, practicing expression. Three, you know, the fact that they're able, they're maybe they have an idea. Like, ooh, I wonder what happens if I mix the, you know, the red and the blue. I wonder what color that's going to make. <gasps> Is this purple? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they get to make that realization, right? Yeah. And they're so just like you said, like it's not just about getting the art. Like just like it's not about just feeding them. Yeah. It's not about just getting the piece of art on the bulletin board. And I'm about to bring this whole conversation, you know, full circle. <laughs> you know, 
from what we we're talking about. It is it is so much more about the process of mm. doing things. Like we were talking about, you know, before, like, you know, school readiness and just getting to the next thing and next thing, achieving the next thing. Yeah. It's less about just achieving in the end goal and more about the process of moving towards that goal. Mm. Uh, and so while this applies in, you know, in our in our own lives, it it's a way that you can really see <clears throat> kind of where a teacher is at in their teacher development. Mm-hmm. And if they're having doing like a bunch of just process art and that's just what they do, um, it's a clue for you. Yeah. It doesn't mean that's a bad teacher or like, you know, or they're like, you know, they're hitting children or anything like that. Sure. But it does clue you into where they're at in their development. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that that's really interesting because I, now I'm thinking back to like all of the different things that my kids would do and they would bring it home and depending right on the classroom that they were in, in preschool, kindergarten, et cetera. Um, I would either be able to tell exactly what it was and it would be like, this is a, this is a great picture. I know what this is. Or then that sometimes they would come home, other kids would come home from a different class with a different teacher, and I would be like, I don't know what that is. Like, good for you for making it. I'm not sure what happened here, but we're going to put it on the fridge anyway, right? And uh, it's that's really fascinating because I just thought some of my kids, initially I was like, some of them are better at art than some of the other ones. <laughs> and it's not, you know, just because it doesn't look like something in particular doesn't mean that that um it wasn't worthwhile and it wasn't good for them to do it and art is very much kind of an abstract kind of process orientated you know experience activity yeah Uh, and so like really you know i'm you know when i'm looking at the art and like you know parents do play a role because sometimes it's it, it, sometimes it is like the pressure of parents that like teachers are feeling or mm-hmm. perceiving mm-hmm. rather. Um, and they're like, Oh, like it has to look like something. They need to know the parents need to know exactly, you know, what it looks like. Like, and it, that's your feelings and write it on the back, right. Yeah. Send a note home, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like we were talking about fishies and we gave them yellow and blue paint and you know, this is what they created. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. there are the other thing that we, inadvertently the message that we send a lot of times um, when we do that product art instead of process art is that their art isn't valuable right yeah or kind of like you know you said like their their art isn't good enough to go up like the teacher has to do it yeah right yeah Uh, well there's so much more pride when they have had a hand when they had the idea and they mixed the paint and they put it on and you know like there's there's so much more pride there and there's so much more learning there um and so you know i like i i'm more impressed when i go into a rsc bulletin board and they all look different yeah like that's what impresses me yeah i I honestly like and it's just kind of like i when i see like oh okay you guys are talking about penguins and it's like all penguins they all look the same all the feet are glued in the same spot and all the eyes are glued in the same spot mm-hmm. and the little like, you know, spot in the bellies right in perfectly centered mm-hmm. and, and they're all up with like individual child's names in. I'm, I'm, I, I kind of like just ignore it because it's, 
It's not like, oh, <laughs> wow, the, the teacher is able to make some penguins. Yeah. <laughs> seven penguins. Because I know that group of toddlers did not do that. Right, right. <laughs> That's great. Absolutely. And I mean, when you're talking about product versus process and how we do that, and, and it's it's that way for, for everyone, for the teacher, for the parent, for the child. Um, and when we are, are in the classroom or when we uh, are sending our kids to a classroom and they're learning a particular thing, um, and obviously this isn't just limited to art, right? This is, this is something that's true for all aspects of learning. Um, how do you, how do you see that playing out when we, um, educate children? You know, we talked about how it works in art. We, we're teaching kids something when we do product or process. We're teaching them either your art is, is good enough or it's not good enough or, you know, whatever the case may be. But in other subjects and in other experiences in education with teachers, with um, teachers' aides, things like that, what are some of those examples of product versus process? Yeah, man. Yeah, we get so, a lot of times, we get so married to uh, the goals. And sometimes as uh in the process of us trying to meet certain goals, we will do things that aren't necessarily um, good for children, or you know, we will want them to we will we'll want them to sit for long periods of time, or we want them to, you know, even with even with writing. Mm. Right. Um, yeah. So the end goal of writing is for for children to be able to. The, the real end goal of writing is for is, is for children to be able to communicate a message through print. Mm. That's the reason why we write yeah. to communicate a message through print. Yeah. So sometimes, let's say, like a young child, they will, you know, they'll they'll either be, you know, misspelling words or they'll even just be like kind of scribbling on a paper and it's like, oh, this is a message. I wrote a letter for you and they hand it to you. And sometimes we'll be like, you know, that's not a message. Like, you know, that's not, you know, that's not, you know, those aren't words, those aren't letters, mm. kind of dismissing what they did would really be a lot more helpful to, 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 to continue, to continue on with that. Like, oh, you, you wrote a message for me. And and to put more value in the in the process of them trying to create a message through some some kind of print, even if it's just scribbles, right? Yeah. And then slowly working, you know, on letters and kind of saying, okay, so if they don't know any letters, they can't write any letters, then we can practice um, writing one letter. But wait a second, can I identify letters and kind of seeing where they're at in their development mm -hmm. and you know and 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 teaching them in a way that they learn as opposed to trying to get them to adapt the way they learn to the way that we teach so yeah. like for an example so let's say i'm gonna shout to write maybe they're scribbling so i'm kind of like okay i really do you know what i should work on writing with my child now it's been like a past year the pandemic they haven't really you know i didn't even really think about working on the on, to, on this till now and they're three or they're, or they're four or whatever 
okay, so how can I help them start identifying letters? Because I want them to be ready for kindergarten and that shouldn't be your thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But let's say it's something you want to teach them. Yeah. Think about more about what their interest is and how they learn that they're more of an active child than, you know, have like, oh, today we have the letter H because it's the first letter in your name, Hector. <sighs> Hector, it's the first letter in your name. You see the H, you know, hold it and feel it. They can, you know, you know, maybe they're really tactile and they, they really want to feel it and go up and down and across. So, okay, I'm going to hide this letter H and you have to go find it. All right, we're going to play, you know, hide the letter, hide the letter. I'm going to hide the letter H and they have to close their eyes. You go hide it somewhere, maybe in the yard. They go search for it. Oh, and you look, where's the letter H? Where's H? Where's H? You're saying H, 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 H a lot. And they're like, oh, I'm looking for the letter H. I'm looking for the letter H. And then they, they go and they find it. They pick up like, I found the letter H. Yeah. They're identifying the letter H. They have it in their hand. They were looking for it. You're saying H, H, H. They're looking for H. And like, okay, I need to find H. I need to find H. In that moment of excitement, when they, they, they find it, they pick it up, and they're looking at it like, ooh, that's H. That's, you know, you create an experience for them. Yeah. Um, and an active experience where it's like, ooh, like, I love learning. Ooh, what's the next letter that you're going to learn that you're, we're going to hide the next day? The, ooh, E is the next letter, so we're gonna, I'm going to make an E. And I like to do cardboard cutouts. I just cut out, like, the letter. I just use any cardboard, and I make the letter, and I'll cut it out mm-hmm. because, you know, I like children because I like to give – put it in children's hands and I want them to be able to manipulate it. And also, so look, okay. So now we are able to identify, we're identifying letters. Yeah. Okay. So I want them to be able to now start being able to write letters. Same thing with the letter H. You don't have to get a notebook and be like, all right, write, you know, write the letter H with your, nope, you have to hold it like this. It's, you know, this is the way you have to hold it. You have to do it exactly like this. All right, now do it 16 times until you get it, right? They're going to be frustrated and be like, oh, I can't do this. I don't mm-hmm. like this. You know what? I don't like letters anymore. I don't want to do this. And they'll mm-hmm. walk away and you'll struggle to get them to come back yep. to practice letters. Yeah. Or you can be like, oh, you know, they really like painting. I get that H. And now, oh, you found the H. Play the same thing. You found, well, now we're going to we're gonna bring it in and we're going to paint it. Okay, now we have paint and they're painting letter H thing, but as much H as much paint on that letter H they like, Oh, look, you didn't do the back. All right. Let's do the back. All right, cool. So now they've used a, uh, uh, a tool. So they're working on their fine motor skills to hold a tool with control, which is going to help when they hold the pencil and, but they've done that practice mm-hmm. stress-free. It was yeah. fun and enjoyable with that letter H. Right. And there's mm-hmm. lots of, you know, you can, they can make a letter H in sand, yeah. right? In Monaco, we use like a sand tray and they, they, they'll make the letters and they shake it up a little bit. They can do it as much as they want. And it's a very, you know, for children who are very tactile and like to touch things. It's something that they very enjoy. They like, they like to do a lot. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't just have to be a paintbrush. They can, you want them, you know, maybe you notice that like, okay, he can identify the letter H. He can kind of get it in the thing and he can get it in the, um, in the right form, but he's holding it like with his whole fist. So, okay, so maybe we need to work on fine motor skills. Okay, so I need to put more tools in his in his little fingers to help him with that, yeah. right? And so the things like you said, they're not just working on one thing, family style dining, that's another like side thing where they're scooping, they're working on those fine motor skills. They don't just have to use a paintbrush to paint. Maybe they're getting a stick outside and they are painting with a stick. Mm. Maybe they're using a Q-tip. Maybe they're using a feather. All of these different things that are interesting and fun that are helping them with their fine motor skills. All right, now they have the fine motor skill strength. Now they're able to identify the H 
pay. And now maybe they're ready to write a letter H. Mm. And now, now maybe now it's time to bring it out. I was like, ooh, you know, and still like, I like to always give children reasons that are meaningful for them. So yeah. like one of the big reasons that like children love, like I'll see it. I won't even like bring up, like bring out your journal to practice writing or anything, but I'd be like, you know, the reason why you, you know, learn to write your name is this so that when you make art or you have something, you can put your name name on it and everybody knows it's yours and nobody can take it. Mm. And that really resonates with a lot of children. Like, yeah. yeah, I want to write. And even if it's just the letter H that's writing on their on their uh on their work, you know, that's yours. Like yeah. that's you signed it and there's so much pride in that. Yeah. Uh, and then you just, you know, I've just talked about how to get your child from not identifying letters and not having fine motor skills to getting them to start writing in a way where there's no fight mm. because the whole process is fun, enjoyable, and developmentally appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, it's not age that determines a, a child's development. It is unique to the child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, age can be kind of like a general marker. And I can say generally, you know, children who are like one and two, you know, they're they really want to climb and that's something that's like really but some three-year-olds are still kind of in that phase too mm-hmm. right <clears throat> some five some five-year-olds are developmentally three socially and emotionally but maybe they might be cognitively advanced yeah right um so it all depends on your child's development and kind of knowing where they're at in their development by kind of observing them mm-hmm. um to figure out the best way to help them um where they're at yeah yeah Oh, I love that. And it's making me feel a little bit better about my kids, actually. (laughs) Because this pandemic has been so, so bizarre. Uh, Like it has impacted their learning. It's impacted the way that they learn. My, um, my eight year old was recently evaluated for ADHD. And now we're, we're starting treatment for ADHD because like learning, he's, he can learn so well in a certain way. And it's not the way that we're doing it right now. It's not going it's not well. The traditional factory model education system. Yeah. Where you sit down and <laughs> listen to the teacher go wop 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 for a long period of time. Yeah. And now that I now I'm expecting you to regurgitate this information yeah. that you have experience that's not relevant to you that's not real to you that you haven't been able to actively practice now i'm expecting you to take that want 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 that i just talked to you at for you know 30 45 an hour Mm -hmm. and now put it on a piece of paper by the way yeah don't get up like keep sitting (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) my son is all over the house like there is no space where he won't be uh, especially now because he has like this Chromebook for, for this laptop for school for learning because all of his classes are on Zoom. And um, I am I've been I was super excited at the beginning of this school year because his third grade teacher is a teacher that we've had before. My older child, my daughter had him for third grade and he's an incredible teacher for that specific reason that he doesn't he's like, why are we sitting why are we sitting and I'm just talking to you and pointing at things on a board or writing things on a board? Let's get up. Let's move. Let's try it. Let's do something to figure out whether or not this is how it works. And I love that that's his approach to learning. But now we're limited because it's because of the pandemic. And so 
he's working really hard to encourage kids to try different things. And my son is, he's not content with hypotheticals. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that has been so tough for him is that his teacher is talking to them about, well, let's, let's talk, uh, uh, we want, we want to learn percentages. We want to learn fractions. We want to learn, you know, um, how to work with, uh, money and dollars and cents and all of these different things. So let's learn how to turn a profit. Let's learn how to, let's use a lemonade stand, for example. So my son comes to me and he says, mom, mom, uh, we have to, we have to have a lemonade stand. It's part of my assignment. And I'm like, it is? Really? Because I didn't get anything about these. Like, yeah, no, I have to do a lemonade stand. This we're, this is how we're learning it and, you know, this this concept. And then I happened to walk by uh, because he was in some other part of the house. He just, like, moves all day. And uh, his teacher, <laughs> it's, it's, it can be great. It can be distracting for the other kids. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> but it helps <laughs> him. It helps him a lot. Um. And I walk by and his teacher is like, okay, so let's pretend that I've got, you know, it cost me $8 to buy this lemonade mix. And I, I've, I'm selling lemonade for like 50 cents a cup or a dollar a cup or whatever it is, you know, and my lemonade mix is going to make this many cups of lemonade. How much am I going to profit from that? And how am I going to make sure that I'm charging the right amount? Not too much, not too little, all these different things. He's like, so I want you guys to figure that out. That's your project for the day. My son takes it and he's like, great, that's my project for the day. I have to have a lemonade stand now. And I, I will like, this isn't a let's draw, you know, um, let's draw a lemonade stand and let's figure that out on paper. He has to get up and he has to do it. Um, and so I love that, that like, that that is something, it, for him, it helps him learn. My daughter is not that way exactly, like, she's not opposed to doing things that way, but she's also fine with figuring things out on paper. She doesn't mind that. She's more type A, and he's not, he's not there. He's not that way. Um, yeah. And so trying to help him learn in this, in this way where it's more process-oriented, um, has been a lot more challenging over the past school year because I was I, I was so excited I was like he's gonna get this great teacher we know that he's this great teacher he's so good yeah. with it and and then pandemic and we're like oh no um, but all that being said as as my kids move through school and they're learning and and as all of our kids um, across the country are learning school and they're doing things in a different way. Um, it seems like some teachers are a lot more comfortable doing that process oriented thing than product oriented. And even if the teachers are, are comfortable with process, um, sometimes school board is not sometimes, um, yeah. you know, a principal or, or a superintendent or whatever it is. Um, it, that's not the way that they want things done and teachers are limited um, to a certain degree in how they're going to do it. Right. Yep. Um, Be I, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I was, I was just going to say, and a lot of that comes from, you know, the school board or the higher ups may want that product so they can get funding. Yep. And, um, which is, it is really sad to know, like, how that is affecting 
how that trickles down to our children and what children receive and they're you know may not get the you know even that teacher who really does want to do that engaging you know activity want, wants to you know do things outside the box that they're limited and they don't you know they choose not to do it or they're discouraged from doing it because it's not going to be on the standardized test or it's not yeah. going to be if they're not teaching to the test which is you know seems to which is which may be the goal and the the product that the school board wants but again another example where it's at the detriment of you know the the process the health the the quality of the actual learning what actually happening what's actually going on yeah uh, and so that's yeah I, that's that's a very real reality and the teachers that still you know that go above and beyond I imagine that that teacher that you're you know referring to like those are teachers who are going against the grain who are going against the flow who have yeah. to go above and beyond for their students because the system isn't isn't built for them yeah uh, and so that is that is a sad reality that a lot of a lot a lot a lot of um people and a lot of teachers and children are facing mm -hmm. oh yeah absolutely uh and i i think that you're you're so right especially with this particular teacher because i mean my kids are all still young we haven't gone through a whole lot of teachers yet and most of my kids have had the same teacher as the child who came before them so we have a lot of the same and we develop relationships with those teachers which is great um but i think that that is one thing that has always stood out to me about this particular teacher is exactly what you said that he goes above and beyond and i used to especially early on in the pandemic i thought at first, I thought my son was kind of getting into trouble because he would meet his school day would last so much longer than the other kids. He would still be on Zoom with his teacher, still be working on things with his teacher. And I was like, what's going on for like an hour sometimes after school is technically out? And then, you know, I talked to my son about it. I said, you know, the last few days it's been going on. What's going on? And he said, oh, well, Mr. Corey's just helping us with, you know, stuff that's that like we just are having a hard time with because it's on zoom and so that he's not he's not being required to do that but he's making extra time in his day he's just staying to work yeah. with kids to make sure that he can help them as much as possible and um and it's not it's not built for for that because that's that's just not how uh he's not getting paid extra to do that he's not getting right. You know, he's not getting extra planning time, extra grading yeah. time that's that's being yeah. given to him. Um, he's just giving it. And it's sad that like that's, a, you know, a lot of teachers that, you know, for for teachers to really do right by their children, that they have to, you know, that that, that they do have to spend that extra time that's not built into their you know, salary, yeah. you know, that they sometimes are, you know, buying, you know, supplies that aren't, that they don't, that the school's not going to provide, but they really need and that their, you know, children really need. And it's, it's really sad because, 
children, we talked about, you know, balance that, that teachers a lot of times do that at the detriment to their own, you know, balance in life, mm. right? And because they're so passionate about what they do and they care so much about their students yeah. that they are, you know, willing to run themselves into the ground to, you know, help their students and do what they can for their students. So, you know, like it's, it's sad. It's a really huge problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, some, some administrators do make it better and some administrators don't. Um, but like any parents out there, if you have a teacher who is going above and beyond, mm-hmm. uh, anything you can do when, you know, and I, yeah, teacher appreciation week is, is, is great, but anything you can do kind of throughout the year that's feasible for you to support them, like, like do it. Yeah. Like, especially if it's those teachers who are going above and beyond um, and doing those things, like staying like an hour after when they want to enjoy the nice spring day too. Like trust, like, you know, teachers love their job, but they also love their free time and they have their own, you know, (laughs) like everyone else. Um, So just, yeah, that's what I would say about that. Yeah. No, I love that. And I, I think that that actually brings me to something that I, I wanted to bring up and kind of get your perspective on, which is that we have learned different ways of educating, especially during the pandemic. And it may not be the best way to to work it out for every child. And, uh, and Zoom has been difficult, I think, for for lots of kids, if not all of them. But we are learning that there are some some accommodations that can be there are accommodations that can be made um whether it's accessibility whether um it is environment whether it has to do um with any particular identities that a child might hold that a student might hold um and so we've learned that it's possible to do things differently and I'm not saying that we should continue on and Zoom is the only way we should ever do school because I don't think that that's true. Mm. But but moving forward, how can we, what do you think about how we can move forward and make equity and accessibility um, the, the goal and something that is more centralized to education? I really think that Honestly, we need to completely reform and overhaul the education system and completely think about it, you know, differently. Mm. Uh, And yes, pour more money into education. Um, You know, we need, you know, there, there needs to be smaller class sizes so that teachers are able to actually connect with each child in their class because that relationship actually knowing a child and being able to have a relationship with them mm-hmm. uh, does amazing things for not only the teacher kind of creating how their lesson but also the child's receptiveness to the lesson right we learn from people that we like that we have a relationship with um, and so smaller class sizes would be one thing um also just i think training in just 
and you know, I, I, I'm I'm not of the belief that we should only make accommodations because we sh the only circumstance we make accommodations is when there's like a diagnosis and we have like an I an IEP, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I think that teachers should feel flexible and safe enough to see that a child is struggling, see that like, oh man, we have at my group of 10, we have like two or three children who are really struggling with this concept of money and they just need really, because I know these children and like I've spent time with them. I know they need something a little bit more. Maybe we do that lemonade stand, you know, and, and and then the administrator, they come in and they're like, well, this isn't, is this a part of the curriculum? Like that shouldn't be, I feel like, is this, you know, should we have assessments? I think we, I think we can still have tests. I think we can still have assessments without them being, you know, these long standardized things. I think they can be a lot more um, qualitative and, and like, okay, can you, all right, it's maybe it's not you doing a math problem with words and having to, you know, put it all out, but maybe it is, the assessment is more like, you know, make $3 with the coins that you have here, mm. right? Yeah. Make, um, you know, I'm, here's, you know, I'm, I'm paying for this, give me change, mm. right? And allowing, and that's also kind of where the small class sizes come in, allowing children to be assessed in their own learning style. Right. Mm -hmm. But because maybe, maybe the child, maybe the child does like, oh, that's a little bit too much like pressure. Like I just need it to be on a piece of paper and read it that way. And it'd be fine. Yeah. Right. But we can't do that right now because yeah. if we're not all, you know, you know, judging children on the same scale, how are we going to input that into this system where then we can decide how much money we're going to give to the school system? Just give them money. <laughs> <laughs> just give them money. Yeah. yeah. Just give them money. Yeah. Because it's super clear. I think every single teacher in America would say that, you know, and maybe with the exception of some private schools would say that, but even, even, probably even some private schools, um, probably even a lot of private schools would say that they don't have the materials they need, you know, to be successful in their classroom or they don't have the planning time or they don't have listen to the teachers and see kind of really what the children need, right? Mm -hmm. And really basing our teaching and kind of what I said earlier, less off just trying to get children to expecting every child to come in this, you know, classroom, this factory style, you know, model education system and expecting every child to adapt the way they learn to the way that we teach. Yeah. And instead creating an environment where teachers can adapt and feel safe enough to adapt the way that they teach to the way the children in their classroom learn. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. That and something that you said <laughs> there, uh, like just just give the schools money, just give them money. Don't make them, you know, prove based on grades or or whatever. Um, standardized testing is 
it honestly it was something that I hoped wouldn't happen at all this year. Um, but it is. And, uh, and one of the things that obviously determines the amount of funding that a school is going to is going to receive is yes those standardized testings are testing as part of it um but taxes as well so we have schools in lower income neighborhoods that are receiving less funding than schools in higher income neighborhoods and um there's a whole lot obviously that goes into that that's not just it's not just as simple as property taxes um but it comes down to where people are able to spend their money where people have to go to buy their groceries and those taxes go into everything um but if we were to if we're to overhaul everything right and provide more funding allow for smaller class sizes uh make it possible for teachers to do those different things um and and we want to move forward with that it seems to me that that's something where we have to apply pressure to people who are um whether whether that's somebody in office whether that is um you know getting together uh people in the community and saying like okay let's let's brainstorm how can we make a change here um but how do you think that we can um make our voices heard I guess as parents as teachers um as people in the community how do we then move that forward how do we do this overhaul of of the education system in your opinion yeah you know I think I'm not naive enough to going to say that it's it wouldn't be a huge undertaking yeah. and I don't think it, it's something that you know too many you know politicians are excited to do and it's something that would take time to really figure out you know there are a lot of logistics involved mm -hmm. there and so but even before we get to that point i think that we just need really we need to create a big enough of a buzz a big enough of a push a big enough of a you know threat to re-election um you know a big enough of a platform so that that is something that you know politicians, you know that's that's the platform that they're running on and that mm -hmm. they're caring about that they're that they you know really see as a priority for their constituents. Yeah. So, and I gotta talk like you know there's there's so many different ways to go about it, and I think that all the ways are you should do all the things. I think. Mm -hmm. You know, there were a group of people and this, this is a big fight too. And this is like something that I, I feel like there are so many, like me being the kind of like defiant kid growing up, like I'm used to like fighting the power. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's, you know, there is, it's, a, this is a movement that I would be a hundred percent a part of yeah. um, if someone's out there you want me to join it mm -hmm. uh, but it is the it is the protesting it is the letters it is the tweets um and you know tweeting to politicians it is getting on the news stations it is you know putting your you know voting where your mouth is um you know it is all of those it's all of those things yeah. Um, and people can get real creative and do like demonstrate. I think that can help like different demonstrations that will, you know, 
capture attention in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, it's, you know, this is a whole nother topic, but just, you know, I talk a lot about encouraging children to, you know, speak up and, you know, make their voices heard. And, you know, that's why we shouldn't just, we shouldn't always tell children like, you know, don't talk back to me and rather we should, you know, put more attention on, you know, teaching them how to respond um, and how to advocate for themselves in a way that's more effective. Um, I think it's something I will applaud. I know a lot of people hate on Gen Z, but I'm going to go ahead and applaud them because during the, um, around this time last year, some of the way, like the ways that they were protesting were creative. So creative. Yeah. Um, and out of the box more than just the protesting and marching and the writing of the letter. Um, and I think that that's what we really need, yeah. you know, to kind of create like the movement that we need to affect change, this huge change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, I was, you know, it would have been really nice if like due to the pandemic that we kind of took the time to really, you know, rethink education as a whole. Yeah. Um, but that didn't happen. And, mm. you know, some things, some things changed, but, you know, a lot of things just, you know, we just kind of continue doing the same things. A lot of people just continue doing the same things, but we just put it on a computer. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to kind of rethinking how children learn and, um, and that was that was, that was not unexpected a little disappointing yeah. but yeah. not unexpected and anyone i hope someone out there is you know starting that movement yeah 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 no i think that that's something that for at least for myself and for um people that i know whether it's from work or or friends of mine uh, we're all sort of wondering, okay, when is this going to happen? And we're all trying to uh, find local um, opportunities to get involved and to make change. And I so appreciate what you said about how it's all of it. Um, it is letting, it is writing letters. It is tweeting at politicians. It is um, getting involved at your school. It is protesting and all, all of those different things. Because for some of us, we can get kind of in the weeds about it and we can be a little bit stuck in this whole idea that, well, in order to make change, maybe I have to run for school board or I have to whatever. Well, maybe you can run for school board. Some people can and want to do that. But if that's not your thing, if that's not the thing that you want to do, then here are these other ways where you can make change and you can show up to school board meetings and you can um, make your voice known there and you can... uh, write a a letter or an email to your representative or apply pressure in other areas and um and absolutely lastly I I just have to completely echo your sentiments about um Gen Z I love Gen Z I love how uh tenacious and creative they are and how they're here to they, they want to make a more equitable world they want to make a more accessible world um for everyone and I think that that's something that's so beautiful about Gen Z and that they're not um, they're they're kind of like a dog with a bone, like they're not letting up and they're not letting go of it. 
And uh, I do love that. I love that so much about Gen Z. And uh, even though my kids are young, I'm so proud that they're part of Gen Z because I know that together with their community and with other people in their generation, they can um, be equipped to make change and that they can all work together to, like you said, uh, be creative and use their talents, their skills, their abilities to make change in ways that has never been thought of before, or at least has never been done before um, in that way. And I, I so love that. I'm so appreciative of, of Gen Z for that. And I'm very excited for um, the unique ways that they're moving us forward. And I think that one of the things that I, I hope that um, we start doing more is supporting them in those efforts. I think that one of the things that I've heard a lot from younger people who are... Um, really active in their communities they're really pushing to make change is uh they keep saying like you always talk you know you older generations always talk about how we are the future and how you know we're going to make change and we're going to fix it because we're the younger generation and we're, we're the next um we're the next generation and, and we're the future of you know our children are the future of our country or the future of our world and they're like we didn't ask for that. We didn't ask to be responsible for making change. And so how about you join us? Um, and I think that that's something that I, I hope that we are all able to continue doing. Um, and I know that there are people like yourself who are making change. And I, I have so uh, loved benefiting from your work, from learning from everything that you uh, do whether it's you know targeted at parenting or teaching or just adapting the way that we interact with kids um, on a regular basis uh, so I, I really appreciate that and I just want to thank you so so much for your time um, I want to be sensitive to the time that you have I know that you have another engagement to get to uh, so in closing, thank you so much. Um, if Is there anything else that you want to make sure that we touch on or, or add before we end? No, I feel like we had a great conversation. Wonderful. Uh, and I very much enjoyed it. Yeah. And again, if you guys um, are looking for my content, um, it's Mr. Chaz on Instagram, M-R-C-H-A-Z-Z. Yeah. On TikTok, it's Mr. Chaz, Mr. Chaz, no space. And on um, Facebook, it's Mr. Chaz, Mr. Chaz with the space. And then on, I'm on LinkedIn a little bit, and it's Mr. Chaz's Leadership Parenting and Teaching Podcast. Awesome. Uh, and that's my podcast. Wonderful. Oh, thank you so, so much for your time. I so appreciate you. Yeah, no problem. It was great talking to you, Joy. You've been listening to 99 Lead Balloons, honest talk about shit society ignores. Special thanks to my guest, Mr. Chaz, for joining me. Links to Mr. Chaz's social media and other platforms are also available in the liner notes. Graphic and web design by Chris Campbell Creative. Go to chriscampbell.com for more. Theme song by Luciano Music Company, licensed by Premium Beat by Shutterstock. Produced and edited by Stoke the Wild Studios. To stay up to date on episodes and content, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 99pod or go to 99pod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.